This podcast is brought to you by Online Retailer, Australia's leading retail tech conference, expo and networking organisation. Recorded at the Online Retailer Conference in 2016, here we chat with world-class digital leaders to bring you industry insights, practical examples and actionable ideas from our incredible community of retail renegades, marketing masters and creative entrepreneurs who all want to do retail business big. We want to extend the conversation after the event and to keep exploring where the future meets retail. So let's talk shop. Hi, and welcome to the Online Retailer Podcast. I'm Kylie Lewis, and in this episode, we are joined by Justin Dry, the co-founder and joint CEO of Vinomofo. So welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me, Carly. Absolute pleasure. Um, now, Justin, what I'd love to do to get started is to have a little bit of a chat about what you do mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, um, a little bit about maybe what Vinomofo is for those uh, in our audience that may not know. I don't know how anybody wouldn't, but just in case, we'll cover off for those three people that might not know, um, and, and how you got to, to, to get into Vinomofo from the very beginning. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so Vinomofo is an online wine retailer. Uh, It's based around uh, uh, the core proposition of uh, curation, around curating a list of wines, um, super focused wines. Um, And that gives us the second part of the proposition, which is value because we have super focus, which means we can go deeper than anyone else can in the country. So um, we've got buying power over anyone. Um, So that provides a value proposition. And then third big piece is the culture around our business. Um, It's been extremely strong and powerful and um, we're all about kind of democratizing wine and getting rid of the bow ties and BS and the intimidation factor around around this industry and this amazing product. Um, That's Vino Mofo. Uh, the other question was where what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, not a lot. Um, <laughs> no, no joking. We work really hard. Um, I, I'm in a lot of meetings these days. Um, uh, um, I spend a lot of time with our team, um, trying to uh, help guide them through the based on the experiences that Andre and I have had over our journey and trying to impart as much knowledge as we possibly can. Is Andre the other co-founder? Yes, Andre is yeah. my co-founder and he's also my brother-in-law. Okay. Um, so he, oh, right. Yeah, so he, he married my sister. They met first, so it's not that awkward like best friend starts dating the sister type thing. Um, but so he's my brother-in-law and business partner, and so um, what was I going to say? So we we launched Lake Vina Mofo in 2011, um, and you know the and before that we had uh, a, a four or five years of business together in kind of similar kind of tech wine space. Um, it was about three or four pivots, to use a cliche term in the startup world, um, to get to Vino Mofo. But we learned a lot along those like different pivots and different businesses, and all within that similar space. Which means we were kind of we were kind of getting great experience, learning um, from all the mistakes that we've made, and we made a lot of them. Uh, and but the the other good thing that we were doing along that journey was we were building um, relationships with the industry and the media and um, our, our future mofos. Um, so it, it, was, it wasn't all bad. It was, it was all leading up to Vino Mofo. Um, yeah, so I think on a day-to-day, we try and kind of using that experience that we've had impart that as to, to as many people on our team as possible. That's that and meetings is probably where I spend most of my time. And also, I, I do a little bit of this. Like I spend a little bit of time talking to media and, and trying to um, spread the message of Vino Mofo um, as far and wide as possible. And actually, more recently, we're doing a lot of travel because we're, we're launching Vino Mofo. We've just launched it in New Zealand. We're about to launch it in Singapore. 
and then the next markets like US and then the UK and then Hong Kong and China and that's all in the next kind of 12 months right so you're going to be on a lot of planes we are on a lot of planes already yeah um, and it's not going to get any better yeah right <laughs> so global expansion it's yeah. happening yeah, yeah absolutely we did the first one last month yeah and it was it, it was just amazing and it, it really worked we're, we're doing it in a very different way um, we we're originally going to do it in like all into one market we build teams spend millions of dollars and then you know uh, uh, try and build it over a couple of years the challenge with that one was we were only going to be able to do one market at a time financially and also energy and resources. So, you know, especially like a market like China, which was the one we picked because it's the right time for China for this type of proposition, um, in our opinion anyway. And um, But we might be two years down the track and then realize that, oh, it's not really working. And then it will take us until like we're 100 to get to the rest of the world. So we kind of changed it around a bit and we did this light version of Venomofo based on what we have on site are like a, lots of events, you know, like 70 wines of sale for two days and it all sells out. Like pop-ups? Like pop-ups, like an online pop-up. Yeah. Um, and so... An online version of a yeah, pop-up. Exactly, okay, exactly. Right. And so we do that all the time anyway. And so we thought that's kind of summarizes and gives the best idea of what Vino Mofo really is to people. Amazing wines at amazing discounts and um, for a very limited time and it all sells out. Mm -hmm. So that's like that experience kind of really does sum up um, alongside of the culture and the tone does sum up what Vino Mofo is. So we thought if we can do that in each market and test and see how it goes and then follow traction. So we'd send a couple of containers over to each market. We'd do a countdown page. We'd promote it through um, you know PR and social um, and through our existing audience who had friends over there, like uh, referral. Um, and we launched in New Zealand last month and it just went nuts. And so we've got a second sale and we're opening up the full site um, in another month mm -hmm. um, because we saw the traction immediately. So that's really exciting. And, yeah. um, and so we're going to do another online pop-up in Singapore in next month yeah. and then um, follow with US, UK, Hong Kong and China. Yeah. So it's a really exciting time. So will you just follow the greatest traction that comes out of those markets? Is yeah. it like a testing? <clears throat> yeah, so it's a testing thing, but <clears throat> we, you know, New Zealand's probably one of the smaller markets we're looking at. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but that's even shown enough traction um, mm. instantly to mm. justify the full site. Mm. So we'll probably be following with a team pretty soon. Mm. Um, the full site just means we've got to dedicate resources to creative, the deals, the buying and all that kind of stuff. But it's already got to that point where it's justifying that. Yeah. The next point is teams on the ground. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it'll be too long before that's there anyway with the current growth rates of each of that market. Yeah. Um, it's just going phenomenally. So um, hopefully that happens in all the other markets that we test yeah. and we're on a winner. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned, um, the curation aspect mm. of, of the wine and, and having learned from the three or four other startup goes that you had at it with with Andre yep. um, and the value that you can offer so mm. in terms of pricing for yep. the quality of the wine yeah um, so how, how did you manage what, what, what were the biggest lessons that you took from the things that didn't work into making Vinomofo stick okay I think the one of the lessons we definitely learned was we were coming at business from our side of the equation as opposed to the customer which seems ridiculous for someone who's got any experience in business but that's what we did yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then i think as we kind of pivoted and did change different models and we started realizing that you really you know there's you've really got to do something that works for the customer <laughs> it seems so simple but you, say, you get into that trap because you are the customer as well like yeah, you're, yeah. you're thinking also well what would i like yeah 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 exactly yeah. and i mean we did build it i mean having said that though we also did 
build VMOFO for us. Mm. It's our type of audience, it's our type of product, it's our type of tone. So we really did keep a lot of us in it, mm. but it was more just, you know, we, we liked the idea of some of the businesses that we got into previously, like Quaff, which was the original one that we did together, which was in like 2006, 2007. Um, that was like Facebook for wine, like a social mm. site mm. and had like customer reviews and occasionally they'd have some pretty average um, um, pricing on some deals because we didn't have buying power and we went really broad. So there's a couple of lessons in that. One, we niched the hell out of something mm. and so there was no audience. Mm. Um, you know, there was an audience, but it was small, so you couldn't work with advertising. Mm. And so that original business model sucked. Um, and then the, the second part of the lesson in that was also um, you can't compete with the big guys on broad range playing their game. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you <clears throat> focus and go um, curate and focus that range and, and go to a part of the market, that big volume doesn't go through the bigger guys. Mm-hmm. As in, because most of the volume in the big guys goes through the top 80, 100 wines. Yeah. You know what I mean? All the kind of stuff on the floor when you walk into the big chains type mm-hmm. thing. Um, whereas if you go to premium to super premium wines, which was the wines that we love anyway, um, not a heap of volume goes through there because there's like, you know, 20% of the volume from the big guys going across like 30,000 skews or whatever they've got. Right, yeah. Whereas if we go in and focus on 200, yeah. we can go super deep on those ones because they're the, one, the only ones we're selling. So mm-hmm. that's that value proposition thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that lesson came from us trying to be everything to everyone yeah. and realizing we're going to lose because yeah. the big guys have got more money for this yeah, and they can right. buy more than us. So yeah. we needed to kind of super focus. Yeah. So that was one of the other lessons, I think. So what were you doing before you were with Andre and all of these startups? Um, I, uh, like I was like the young entrepreneur dude, like, you know, not so much like the salesy guy. I was the guy that was wanting to create stuff. Yeah. Um, and from a really young age, like I was knocking on neighbors' doors, trying to mow their lawns and uh, wash their cars and build up a, um, a business that way when I was like 12 or something. And I actually did all right. I got a good run. And my I employed my first person when I was like 12 and it was my cousin. And But he will be forever known as Lazy Ben. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love him to death. I really love him. It's just, you know, some people don't like that type of work. That's right. And so he, um, so he was more interested in going to the shops for lollies than actually doing the work. And so that was my first lesson in employment. He hadn't tapped into his passion for <laughs> exactly. a long time. His passion is actually golf. He's a great golfer. But um, he, it, was my, it was my first lesson in employing good people, you know, the right people, because yeah. bad people can ruin your business. Um, but no, I love him to death. Um, the, and then next, I was selling Christmas trees on the corner at like service stations, went before service stations were doing that. And I found it out the other day, which was really cool. I was reading about Richard Branson, which, you know, is a you know, hero of most entrepreneurs. But he actually sold Christmas trees when he was young too, and I had no idea. And I, I did the same thing. There like, is. <laughs> meant to be it's us I'm, a, I'm the next Richard you're, no, you're, on, you're on the right track I'm already way behind some stuff anyway but um, no it was cool that he sold Christmas trees as well and then I studied um, I got into wine because my uncle one my ancestors um, planted some of the first Shiraz vines in the Barossa Valley in South mm. Australia They're like it's in the blood yeah so it's in my DNA um, yeah. I didn't know that until much later but yeah apparently it's in my DNA and um, and then my uncle Peter um, was a viticulturist and like he used to teach at uni and he wrote a lot of the textbooks so he's like I've got another uncle in it as well but so there's there was a family connection and at Christmas times so he'd try and get me to do like blind tasting yeah. like when I was 15 before I even drank wine you know before you're supposed to drink anything but before I drank wine um, he'd be like oh, I want you to pick my vintage region and variety of these five wines I'd be like Uncle Peter I don't even drink wine how the yeah. hell he's like I'm going to guide you through what different varieties smell and taste like you didn't stand a chance no I didn't stand but a chance whatsoever no, definitely not. And eventually, I 
just fell in love with it. And so I studied at a uni. Okay. Um, I studied wine at uni. It's a thing. Yeah. Um, and then I went and worked in the wine industry for a few years, holding tastings for people and working like um, vintages where you go and, you know, kind of make, make the wine. Um, and then after that, um, I realized that maybe it was a passion as compared to a profession. And so I went and tried other stuff. I went into, I studied financial markets and became a stockbroker. Um, for a few years right in the tech boom which was awesome lost all my money in the crash (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then what else I do got into some property which is okay it's good actually Um, and then I sold everything and went overseas and that's when I discovered Facebook which then turned into Quaff the idea of Quaff yeah yeah Yeah, fantastic okay so I'm glad we covered that off Um, the third thing that you mentioned at the beginning so we talked about curation as the value proposition value the price as a value proposition Mm. the third one was culture and when you are growing, when you're a fast-growing business that have got lots of ambition and you need people on board um, to get done what you need to get done, yeah. it's the culture piece that's really going to be the piece that makes that happen or not. Mm. So, can you talk to me a little bit about that because it's already come up several times in yep. what you've spoken about. <clears throat> so, humans are hard. <laughs> Human <laughs> beings are really, really hard. Um, no, we we. We started with two people in garage. We've now got 140 people. Um, in, ga- uh, in a bigger garage. In a much bigger, much, <laughs> much bigger garage. And we're just about to run our own warehousing, which is going to bring another 20 or whatever people on. <clears throat> and we're launching, obviously, as we said before, globally. So there's lots, lots more people coming. So we're growing really, really fast. And we've had these really interesting um, stages along the journey. You know, like when you're two people in a garage, you are the culture. When you're like two of 10, you're 20% and you're still in the same room, you can hear what's going on, you can influence, then you get to the 30 and it starts getting a little bit like conversations happening a little bit over there um, and you have less influence and then you get to 100 and you know, forget it. Like you, you don't control it just by sitting there and, and leading within that space. Um, so what we've learned over that time is to have a great culture, you've got to, you've got to really define the business, the why, the mission, the vision, the values, all that type of thing. And I think the, the we we learned that as we got bigger, you know, I'm not saying that we've had, you know, we've had a really good culture the whole way, but there's always going to be challenges for anyone. And, you know, we're highly awarded for our culture, but, you know, it's been through making lots of mistakes and learning and learning and learning and just caring enough to make, to want to make it great that we've gone past those learnings and, and grown. Um, I think for us, when you become a, become a certain size, like I'd say, let's say 70 or 100 people and above, it is, it's just absolutely necessary to define your why, define your values, um, and get everyone to buy into that and agree to it and constantly communicate it and have it everywhere. It, mm. it has to be part of everything you do. So what's your why? Our why is um, we want everyone to experience good wine, we want to do some good for the world, and we want to have fun. That's our why. So we had this bucket of ideas of what our why was, but we wanted to really define it down to a really kind of tight um, thing. And so, you know, we want everyone to be able to experience good wine. That's about democratizing wine. It's about um, uh, everyone being, you know, the um, like the no bow ties and BS. Let's get rid of the intimidation. We want everyone to be welcome into this amazing world of vino that we love so much. Um, and then when we talk about um, good wine, we talk about the wines that we care about. So the wines that are made by real people, people with passion, history you know interesting wines not the commercial stuff that's made in you know millions of cases and sits on the floor of 
of chains because mm. um, that's not wine that's mm. you know that's alcohol yeah <laughs> you know whereas the wines we're talking about the ones that people have been you know they're in their families and they, they live and breathe food and wine and they get up early and they you know stress about it they sweat hard you know they all the stuff that matters around wine um and around so, anything really yeah exactly exactly yeah. around anything and so they're the types of wine so democratizing really good wine yeah so that's kind of our thing and then the do some good for the world is i think once you have the ability to be able to give back to the world you have a responsibility to do that if you're in a position to be able to help i think you should so we launched um wine for good which is like um uh, uh, it's basically under our mofo causes and it's basically we we look after five different causes different charities within those change but the causes don't mm-hmm. um you know so animal welfare is one for example so mm-hmm. we've been supporting um a lot of um kind of foster care programs and we were the first um, business to have it in the corporate in the workplace which is cool um and <clears throat> mental health um, mental health um, and lots of others but it's all about us giving back with time money resources you know we slept on the streets for the CEO stuff we, we try and get as many people within our teams to help as well because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a human need to be able to kind of grow and give back mm-hmm. and I think if you can provide that in your workplace um, it's really powerful because people are needing it and looking for it so if you don't give it to them there they're going to try and need to find it elsewhere mm. um, so if we can give them the opportunity and they appreciate that it's mm. a really powerful thing for a culture mm. um, and also last thing have fun. fun yeah fun Andre and I um, we, we just, we're, we're really big believers in having fun you know like and I think it, it's it's contagious and you know when I always think about who's who are the people that you want to hang out with you know is it the negative you know, depressing, whatever, or is that the really happy, fun guy? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's what we all want to, we're all drawn to this. And so I think if you can bring fun into the workplace, um, it's really powerful for the team. And so we try and bring it into everything we do. You know, mm-hmm. Andre and I are always made to look like idiots in, in, <laughs> in the name of making it fun for everyone. And I think it's really powerful. Yeah, right. So um, so then in terms of the, um, the, those three things then so we're talking about having fun mm. um, about giving back the, mm. the social good piece um, about making sure that everyone feels connected mm. um, into a culture that is is doing something that's you know higher purpose and that they've got a yeah. got a, a, a role to play in that um, so what other th- what other things contribute to the culture mm. of Vinomofo? Um I think the in the sense of the team um, I think it's who who you're hiring um, it's, it's the people you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important. Mm-hmm. So we've made heaps of mistakes over the time, as anyone has in business, but um, I think we've just got better at recognizing um, early and also making it harder to get in. Mm-hmm. So How how, about, how do you do that? Oh, man, it's so much harder than it used to be. So before we'd go, hey, oh, he seems like a nice guy. She seems like a nice girl. Yeah, hi, go. Yeah. And it would be like, that's about all we were doing because we were growing and we are like, everyone's lovely. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we started seeing a couple of issues pop up and how people were relating to other people and the vibe they were bringing in and whether or not they were aligned with our values. Um, and so issues started popping up. And that's as you grow and I was saying about getting to that 70, and you need to really identify what your values are mm. and then align your hires with those because if people aren't aligned, they need to, you know... How do you find out if they're aligned when you go um, through an interview process? Well, there's, we've got, like, different stages through um, through the interview process. First, we'll um, set them challenges before they even get an opportunity to apply for the job as far as, you know, there's hidden questions. It's just because, you know, when you put a job up on Seek or wherever else, you get, like, a 1,000 bloody... Um, uh, resumes in and none of them have read 
anything yeah. about it and yeah. it's just like we, there's one way for us to weed out all those people is to put a few hidden questions within and we know if they haven't done that yeah. just get rid of them yeah. straight away and don't even look at it um, so that gets rid of a whole lot of people the um, the next bit is we generally get people to do videos um, so we can see what they're like and, and also how proactive they are because doing a video one is scary for a lot of people mm. and two it's hard it's, mm. it's, it's, it takes some effort it takes some effort so yeah. are they willing to step up which is one of our values and do this work um, you know and we want we ask them things about what their passions are um, outside of work piece just to see I want to see their eyes light up you mm. know what I mean like because it tells a lot you can tell a lot about a person by seeing their eyes light up about the passion and it could be anything I don't care it could be knitting but if their eyes light up that's yeah. cool that's a really good sign um, and then we have like um, different stages so one is with the team leads that they'll be working with in the chosen um, job and then the next one with our head of culture Mikey and he has a real cultural piece around like, how they fit within you know there's um, strengths based tests there's all sorts of kind of different um, things that we do to work out how aligned they are and then if they make it there through those two and all the other preamble stuff um, they'll meet Andre and I and then when they meet Andre and I we just want to get a vibe for who they are as a person just mm -hmm. to kind of really read and see if we gel and see if um, we can see you know the energy and the passion in them um, and then once that's all done um, they come to one of our kind of social events and just see them in a more relaxed place mm -hmm. and just see if they fit you know so it's it's pretty like long process now it used to be hi hey going done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does help and i think the people I've, I've chatted to um friends about this in the same kind of space before it's like what's more important hiring or firing and i think hiring is because that's your opportunity to get it right mm -hmm. and i think firing is just as important um almost as important if you recognize that it was a worst like a bad decision mm. to do it as quickly as you possibly can because one bad seed and i've seen it happen in so many businesses including ours mm. over the journey one bad seed can just grow like a cancer and ruin whole teams and eventually the company so i think it's really important to put all that energy and effort into getting the right people and then even if you've gone through that and you think you've got it and then you start seeing signs it's like straight away you've got to deal with that radical candor, have the open conversation honestly from the heart, but deal with it straight away. Mm. Yeah, it's that um, higher, slow, fire, yeah. fast. Yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's and it's the, the challenge is with fast growth companies. Yeah. If you're higher slow, you're gonna you're gonna slow down the progress of the company. So it's like you gotta hire as slowly as you can to not hamper the business. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yeah. It's getting that balance right yeah. and knowing what that number is. Yeah. Because we've gone through phases where we've gone, oh, we need twenty people. <laughs> And hide them, mm. and then realise that seven of them just didn't fit. Yeah. Um, and we've had to, you know, deal with that straight away. And um, and I would much prefer to put the extra two or three weeks, which we had to then put into fixing it, yeah. into the hiring process. Yeah. You know, and that's what we've kind of learned. So lesson learned, right? Exactly. Yeah. We, we've learned like a million lessons over this journey. We've made like every mistake you possibly <laughs> yeah. make. I think. Well, thank you for sharing those with us, yeah. so, that, so that we can we can learn from that. Um, but it is a challenge when you are when you are growing fast. Um, and you're, you know, you want to grow sustainably. You don't want to necessarily burn out the pe the good people that you have, um, but you need to take the time to find the right people to come on board. Yeah. It's a challenge for, for businesses like yours. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Do you have any shortcuts to kind of recruiting? Do you use a referral program within your employee base or? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, this one, because we do, um, yeah. especially um, for certain types of roles, um, we do. Um, there is like our, our, um, our team are incentivized to bring in good people. So if they do bring in good people that they know, um, there, there is a, there is a reward for that. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, obviously they have to be good people and they have to stick around, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but there is an incentive 
incentive. And what we've also found, which is really powerful, is we've got quite a big kind of social presence and community. Like we've got lots of um, you know lots of people on Facebook and Twitter and those types of things. And obviously, we're very um, we communicate a lot with our audience through EDMs and through um, obviously other th- other social channels as well. But um, I think because we give such a good sense of what happens behind the scenes and who we are and what we stand for. We don't apologize for anything. We are who we are. Um, and we, there's lots of video and written content that tells that story. Because of that, a lot of our people actually come from our audience and they already know who we are and what we expect and, and are aligned with us. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, totally. a, lot of our, um, a lot of our new highs actually come from our community. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so any other tips for, for growing your business? You're right in the midst now of, of taking that big leap to globalize. What, what are some of, the, some of the other things that are on your, on your mind in between meetings and travel? Um, I think the, um, you know, it was a really good lesson that I learned from um, our days because we sold part of our company at Catch of the Day and then bought it back a year later um, in like 2012 and 2013 was about the time. And, you know, they're this hugely successful company turning over hundreds of millions of dollars and they've got a couple of million customers. You know, it's a success. And so when I, when we uh, sold a percentage of the company and we sat down with them, we were like, I said, you know, um, you spend very little money on marketing and yet you've got, Two million customers, and you and you are turning over hundreds of millions of dollars. Like how? how? <laughs> and so, like, wait for it. Here's the big. This is the secret sauce. Roll. <laughs> so, always get a really good product at a really good price. And I was like, Oh, you're <laughs> kidding me. Is that it? Yeah. And but you know what? As the years have gone by, and I've learned more and more, I realize how powerful that actually is. Mm-hmm. If you if you get your product so good that people are telling their friends about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, referrals are our biggest source of new customers. Mm. And if you focus on the product and get it so good in every way, shape or form, like the website, the product you're selling, the product the offering that you're giving to um, your, your customers, if you spend so much time getting that right, um, everything's easier, mm. you know, everything. Customer service is easier, but, pretend, but particularly marketing, the expense, the, uh, the marketing expense becomes much, 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 much lower because less are going out the back end because you, you're mm. not bringing them into a less than ideal product. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's one of the things um, learned recently. I think it's really important to be human. And yeah, I know this is like, you know, this is one of those kind of startup cliche things going around at the moment a little bit now, but it's so true. It's like not being the corporate voice and being human about it and connecting yeah. in a human way. Cause you know, you know, it's, it seems ridiculous to me when people say, oh, it's not personal, it's business. You know, that whole thing. And you're like, what? It's certainly personal for the guy at the other end of that phone call. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, how dare you? Yeah. It's the humans. And there's, it was, a, there's been a great book written by a woman called Anne Kramer, and it's called It's All Personal. Yeah, cool. Awesome. <laughs> I'll read it. Yeah. Because it's so true. It is so true. And people can't get away with it anymore. Yeah. You just can't. And if you're a decent person, you don't want to. You know what I mean? It's no, it's no longer business. It is all personal. And I think that's a great title for a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, as, far as, as far as other growth going, um, we... we um, let's say we really like to focus on the strengths of our business and also focus on the strengths of our team like this we do this have you ever heard of strengths finder yeah yeah, absolutely so good yeah so what we do is we get everyone to do that within our workplace yeah and find out what they're good at and then we build teams around that amazing yeah so we go like all right so that that person's great at this part like project management this person's great at this you know analytical this person's great at strategy yeah and we actually build teams around that yeah um you know we're starting to um and it's really really powerful because um when andre and i did it um, to find out our strengths, um, it really changed 
our understanding of ourselves. It was life-changing. Absolutely. Is, yeah, it's amazing. And you didn't feel guilty about the stuff you were bad at anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, I can let that shit <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> but, um, so I think that's really important. And I think that flows into the way a business runs as well. We were never going to win against the big guys going broad range. What are our strengths? We're fast, we're agile, we care more, we're more human, we've got the relationships with the small to medium-sized producers that we really care about and they're making great ones. That was our strengths. So mm. if we could focus our business around those, we mm. could win against anyone. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's focusing on the strengths within your team and externally I think is really powerful. Yeah, working to your strengths. Yeah. Yeah, and leveraging those. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Well, thanks so much for having a chat with us today. Um, lots of great insights there. Good luck with the expansion. Thank you. And staying true to who you are and having good people and being human in the middle of all of that interesting times ahead yeah absolutely thank you so much for having us oh that's our pleasure and we'll keep in touch thanks thanks for listening if you've loved what you've heard today make sure you're subscribed at onlineretailer.com.au to be the first to know about Australia's best e-commerce events